Okay. So we are in week two of a series that I'm calling Permission to Be Real. You would think that a people who follow the one who often started out his proclamations with truly, truly, who said that if you were lying, you were speaking the native language of the devil, that we as his followers, as Jesus' followers, would be pretty truthful, pretty honest, pretty upfront people. But often we feel the pressure to put on a different uh, a mask or to not be honest about what we're thinking or feeling. And we are studying the Psalms because in the Psalms, I think that's the biblical example of our permission to be real. And when Sue Ellen and I were talking about it afterwards, it's, uh, I, I was reminded of another aspect of this, which uh, is implicit, but I want to make it explicit. Uh, in the Psalms, you see people being honest with God about what they're feeling and what they're going through. Uh, it's not always pretty. It's not always sanitized and cleaned up. It's often very raw and real. And I believe that that gives us the permission and the encouragement to be that way with our Heavenly Father to know that He can take it. But the other aspect of that is that it gives us permission to be real with one another as well. That uh, when we come in here into this context, whether it's Sunday morning or just the church context, and by church, I mean the biblical way that that's described, the people of God, not a building, not an hour on Sunday. But in that context, it should be a place where you have permission to be real with one another as well about the things that you're struggling with, the things that you're going through, the questions that you have, and the way that you are feeling because what we said was we were kind of picking up from the last series that we did the paradigm series where we were talking about the framework for reading and understanding the bible and number two in that was what the bible teaches is true is true and the important part of that was to understand and read the bible in context you can't just pull something out and draw a whole uh, doctrine from it, you have to look at what the Bible teaches as a whole. And so in the, in the Psalms especially, you see some of those raw, unsanitized, emotional exhortations and, and just um, feelings that are expressed. And just remember that, that just because somebody expresses something doesn't necessarily mean it's true. But what the Bible teaches as a whole is true is true. And what we said is that the Psalms are true to feelings. So I just wanted to remind everybody of that, 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 that the Psalms are an expression of where people are in their real lives and what they're going through, what they're thinking in the midst of some sometimes very difficult and challenging circumstances. It's true because it's true to feeling. This is how the psalmists were feeling. So last week we looked at Psalm 30 and we saw how in the ups and downs of life, rather than looking at the ups as a danger of forgetting God in the midst of good times and the downs as a reason for rejecting God because things are not going well, but really every circumstance is an invitation to recognize God's presence. In the bad times, we turn to him in prayer. 
in the good times, we turn to him in praise. And this week, we're going to be looking at another psalm, Psalm 73, and I've titled this End Game because it's all about gaining perspective and seeing things from the beginning to the end. And the question that this psalm poses is one that people who of faith have dealt with over and over again uh, throughout history in all kinds of different cultures and all kinds of different experiences. And there's a couple of ways that you can state it. The way that I think that he's stating it most directly in this psalm is this. Why don't bad things happen to bad people? Uh, in other words, if somebody does wrong, then they should get wrong in return, right? If God is a just God, if he's watching over everything, making sure that things turn out right, then if somebody does bad, then they should be punished for it. And then the other side of that is if a person, why, sometimes we experience that good things are done by good people, but they don't get rewarded for it. They get punished for it. So why don't good things happen to good people? Or the other way that we see this injustice at play is you see good people and bad things happen to them. And so there's even a, a book written by a famous rabbi called Why Do Bad Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? It's something that people have dealt with and wondered throughout history. And there are probably some experiences. You will, you will be able to so relate to this psalm because we've all had this experience, right? Where no good deed goes unpunished, where you feel like you're going above and beyond. You're trying to do the right thing. And rather than getting rewarded or recognized for it, you get punished for it. So maybe you can relate to the psalmist when he says in the middle of the psalm, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? And remember, I've, I've got my highlight out a lot during this uh, series because uh, remember each line of Hebrew poetry is made up of two, often two, sometimes three stanzas and they build and relate to one another in a lot of different ways. Very often it's like this one, it's in parallel. The line presents a thought and the two stanzas, the two uh, measures within it provide a parallel. So you can see keeping my heart pure, keeping myself innocent are in, are in parallel. And what's the result for nothing and for no reason? Have you ever felt like that? The psalmist has. So today, what we're really talking about is the idea of justice. So if on the way home you're thinking, what did we talk about today? One word, justice. We're talking about justice. And what we're going to see is that there's something about getting in God's presence that gives us the perspective that we need to understand what's going on. And in particular, here's how I said it, get in God's presence to gain God's perspective. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 73. And the practical application of this because my goal is to make this the most valuable hour of your week and so all of us are going to face this situation where we wonder if it's worth it to do the right thing even when we're not rewarded 
and you're going to see how this works. You're going to gain perspective, and you're going to know exactly how you can do things that will gain the perspective that you need. And I'm going to sum it up in two words, and that is to show up. To show up in God's word, within God's spirit, and among God's people. I'll explain that as we get to the conclusion of the message. So Psalm 73 is uh, not the longest psalm, but it's a little bit longer. So I've invited my wife, Sue Ellen, to come up and help me read Psalm 73. So Sue Ellen, you can come on up. Now, Psalm 73 is in three different sections or movements. And if you were able to read Hebrew, you would see that, oh yeah, do you got the handheld? I meant to grab that and ask for it earlier. Thank you, Dustin. Um, uh, if you were able to read Hebrew, you would see that each of these different sections begins with a, a specific word. It's sometimes translated truly or behold. I didn't look this up, but it's probably the, the Hebrew word amen, which we get amen from, It's in which Jesus picked up and would say amen, amen, truly, truly, I say to you. So that's how it's split up, and we're going to split it up a little bit uh, as well to work through these different movements. Thank you, Dustin as the psalmist works through this question. Why don't you come on over here a little bit? And uh, we're going to share, and I need glasses. Okay, here we go. Psalm 73, we're reading from the New Living Translation. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast about the very heavens, against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease, while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I'd really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then... I went into your sanctuary, O oh God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O oh Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. 
yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things that you do. Thank you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that as we look at your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would open our minds and open our hearts to you so that we might be able to hear what you want to say to us. I pray that you would give us teachable hearts, repentant hearts where needed, and encourage us to continue to trust you, to entrust ourselves to you, knowing that in the end, you have promised to make all things right. Lord, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar, and especially for those watching by video, we are now on site here at United Baptist Church, 11 a.m. on Sundays. And I hope that everyone will make it a point, if you're part of Cornerstone, to show up on Sunday mornings if you can. Uh, we do a lot of other things to get the word out and to make sure that everybody can participate, but there's just no substitute for being in person with one another. So you can find our schedule at cornerstonenh.org calendar. Uh, we also have services running online on Sunday mornings, and you can check out our website for that as well. And then this message will be available on demand. It's posted in the, post, in the podcast feed almost immediately and then available on demand by video in the following week. Whatever we do, it's all designed around this purpose, to inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life. So if you're new to Cornerstone, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. You can let us know who you are by texting the word new. And if you're new here, you can do this right now. Uh, is text the word new to 603-225-2550. So the bottom line for today from Psalm 73 is this, to get into God's presence, to gain God's perspective. We need perspective if we're going to understand what's going on. And by the, just the nature of things, we as human beings have a limited perspective and a limited, pers limited vision skews perspective. We have limited vision. We can only see so much and it skews our perspective. Over the past couple of months, I have been doing a lot of projects around the house uh, and they basically fall into two categories. One is organizing things, and the other is upgrading and facelifting and improving things. Now, Sue Ellen could attest to this, that in the midst of the project, very often it gets worse before it gets better. And so 
while you, the goal is to organize things, in the middle of organizing things, everything is disorganized. And in the middle of improving things, everything does not look like it has been improved. Because if you just look at something in the process, you don't get the whole picture. It's not until the end game, until the project is done, until the organization has been worked out that you see the end result and the end game. And the same is true for our lives as well. Our limited vision sometimes skews our perspective. So let's see how this plays out in this first movement of this psalm. It starts with that word truly. And he starts out on a good note because he's going he's gonna to give you a spoiler alert. He's like, uh, this is the conclusion that I'm going to come to in the end. It's kind of like, don't worry, everything's going to work out in the end. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. And really, that's, that's what we want to hear, right? If, you're, if you are on God's side, then he's going to cover your back. If you are doing the right thing, then you're going to be rewarded for it. And he says, in the end, this is what it's really like. But the next word is that word, but. But as for me, he's saying, look, yes, we know God is good, but but I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. In other words, I, I believed this and I ended up on solid ground, but I was on a journey to get there and it wasn't always smooth sailing. Well, what happened, Mr. Psalmist, to get you to this point where you came around to the right end, but you were, you were in danger? It says, verse three, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. I mentioned to you last week that uh, I have been using this commentary on the Psalms, the interpretation commentary on the Psalms, and I would highly recommend it. it it's, it's, it's very meaty. But everyone here could get something out of it if you just spent the time with it. But if you want to go deeper, then this is a great resource. But I love the way what he pointed out, the author uh, James Mays points out about this verse. Because um, Hebrew is a very uh, succinct, very compact language. It's kind of like if you're familiar with that clip from The Office where the guy says, you know, uh, he, he only spoke, speaks in just few words, save time, you know, it kind of shortens everything and leaves out all the extra words. Well, that's, that's how Hebrew works, actually. And so he's saying, uh, envied the proud, saw them prosper, despite wickedness. So, you know, the, the words are very compact, and when we translate it into English, we have to expand on it a little bit. And so what's actually being said here, and the author of that commentary points it out, is he says, I saw the shalom of the wicked. The shalom of the wicked. Now, that really struck me because this word shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, is 
a very deep, all-encompassing word. Um, I've translated it before as wholeness and said that, you know, that's, that's kind of what our goal is. is um, and I borrowed this from another church I thought it was really good, is to take people from lost to found to whole. There, a wholeness to your relationships with one another and with God, a wholeness to yourself. And when, when, you're, not, when you're not well, you're not whole. And the idea of shalom is this wholeness, this, this pervasive wellness and health over your whole body and your life. And so when he says, I saw the shalom, what you associate shalom and wholeness with righteousness and goodness and your heavenly father. And, and so it's very startling. It's very jarring when he says, I saw the shalom of the wicked of people who were doing wrong and hurting others and, and, and rejecting God. And it's just like these two things, they should, they're like oil and water. They don't mix. They don't go together. But he says, I see this. Sometimes I experience this. I saw the shalom of the wicked, and it, and it, and it caused me to, to, to be startled, to lose my footing. I almost slipped and fell. I was almost gone because of it and so this is his perspective he's pulling out this one frame out of the whole picture just like the there's the whole picture of organizing and upgrading but if you just pick out one frame sometimes it looks pretty disorganized and pretty unkept and that's what our lives are like sometimes as well we we take a snapshot in the middle of it and what we see is the shalom of the wicked, and it just doesn't make sense. And that's what the psalmist is experiencing here. So there's a transition point. It starts out with what caused him this issue, and he goes through a long litany of things that he's seen. We read it just now. But then there's that transition point. Is how, did, how did he get to verse 1 when all this is what he's seeing in verse 2 through 11? He had to get into God's presence to gain God's perspective because our understanding is limited. If we just have that little bit of, that little snapshot of what's going on, that's not the whole picture. That's not the whole story. And therefore, our understanding is limited. What's the conclusion that he's drawing? He said, Truly, and this is, this is where the second truly comes in. It's not always translated. But what he says literally here is, truly, I kept my heart pure for nothing. Truly, I kept myself innocent for no reason. Our translations often, most often actually turn it into a question. But what he's doing is confessing how he really feels in this moment. I looked and I saw the shalom of the wicked. And here I am to, trying to do the right thing. For sure, I have kept my heart pure for nothing and kept myself innocent for no reason. Why? Because what's happening to me, the guy who's trying to do the right thing, I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And here is an example of a different way that the lines and the measures can work. It's actually building what's called a chiasm. Sometimes they're in parallel where it just 
repeats the same thought in different words. Here, it's like stepping. You start with the theme of A, you step up to B, it repeats the theme of B, and then you step down to A. Sometimes whole sections of scriptures are built on this chiastic structure, and sometimes it can go A, B, C, D, E, and then back down the other side. But A here is trouble. I get nothing but trouble all day long. In the, you come back to it at the end of the line when he talks about pain. So pain and trouble are the bookends there, the A theme that he returns to. In the middle, he steps up to when this happens. I get trouble all day long. And then I go to sleep and I wake up and every morning brings me pain. So it's trouble all day long, every morning, pain. And that's how that, you see that chiastic structure in this line. But what's he say is like, this is what happens to me. It, it ain't working for me. And so he goes through and he says, okay, well, how am I going to deal with this? And the first option that he considers is just giving up and just saying, this is the way that this works. And this is in verse 15. If I had really spoken this way to others, in other words, if that's uh, this is how I was feeling, but if I had said, this is the way it is, you know, obviously, just look around and see what happens in our world. This is the way it is. If I had said that, then I would have been a traitor to your people. I would have betrayed your children, it says literally. And I think that this is kind of the, the, the counterbalance to the idea that we're, we're talking about throughout the series about being real. It, you have permission to be real, but I think this verse is a reminder that you have to remember that the things that you say, the attitudes that you express, they have an impact on the people around you as well. Uh, the way John Maxwell said it, and probably many others, is that attitudes are contagious. And so your attitude is going to impact others. He's saying, you know, well, what are my options here? I could just give up and say, this is the way things are. And I could have, in the process of embracing that, torn down the faith of others, discouraged others, pulled them away. And so, yeah, I have permission to be real, but I also need to be considerate and loving of others as well. There's a balance. There's some wisdom in there that we have to have. So that's the counterbalance. He's saying, I could just give up, and then, but, but that, would, that would impact others. And so I need to consider that. And so the second option, he says, is, well, rather than giving up, I can just try to make sense of this. I can put my mind to it and see if I can figure it out. That's what you see in verse 16. He says, so I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. Uh, I, I tried to make, it, uh, make the dots connect and figure out uh, some reason why this is. And, and I love the next part of this verse, but what a difficult task it is. This evidently must be a difficult, translate, dif difficult phrase to translate because virtually every uh, translation does it slightly differently, but uh, but the whole idea is, yeah, I could try to wrap my brain around it, but that would hurt. In fact, the message translation says, when I tried to figure it out, 
all I got was a splitting headache. That's, that, that's what I got for my troubles of just trying to figure it out. And sometimes that's just the way it is, isn't it? It's like, uh, I've got to make sense of this. Sometimes you're just not going to be able to make sense of it. And then here is the hinge point of the entire psalm. It is moving from frustration and confusion into insight and peace. It's from bitterness and envy to wholeness and shalom. And it starts out with that transition word, then. So I could have just given up. I could have, I tried to wrap my brain around it. None of this was working. None of it was right. But then something happened. Then I, 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 finally, I finally landed on something that would make sense and make sense of this whole situation. Then what did he do? I went into your sanctuary, oh God. I entered into your presence. I have told you before that I often pray, Lord, help me to see things from your perspective. What am I saying there? God, God has perfect vision. He has immaculate perception, right? He sees things as they are. My perception, my take on things is always gonna be skewed and off because I'm a limited and uh, sinful person sin-infected uh, person. And so I need to, if I want to see things truthfully, I need to see things from God's perspective. So that's often my prayer. And this is what he's done. He's saying, I, I went to where, I went into your presence. I went to your sanctuary. And then what happens? What's the payoff? And I finally understood. I tried to figure it out for myself. I couldn't. I thought about just giving up, but I, I didn't. But then I went into your sanctuary and things finally kind of came together. And how did they come together? Because he started to see things from God's perspective and he sees everything from the beginning to the end. Not just a little snapshot, not just a little still picture, but the whole story from beginning to end, and he says, and I finally understood the destiny, the end result of the wicked. And that's where we come to the final movement, where he has finally got into God's presence, and he has God's perspective, and therefore he has the insight that he needs to understand what's going on, because God's perspective grants him that insight. So what's the conclusion? Third movement, there's that word truly again. Truly, you put them, the wicked, on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. Now, in the first movement, he was talking about how everything was going wonderfully for the wicked, that you know, no matter what they did that was evil, they always ended up with a good result. And he's like, nope, you gotta pull back a little bit. You gotta get the greater perspective on God's justice. It's not always immediate. It's not always if, then, boom, but eventually, God is watching over things to make all things right. And no matter what you see right now, 
God has put them on a slippery path and sent them sliding over the cliff to destruction. And then he talks autobiographically. He says, when I was beleaguered and bitter, I've switched over to the message translation, totally consumed by by envy. And this is, he's giving insight. What's happened is he's got into God's perspective. He sees what's going on truly with the, the people that he was uh, watching, but he's also been convicted. He's, he's been shown the true nature of his own heart, that what was causing him all of this consternation was envy of the success and shalom of the wicked and the bitterness that he had allowed to take root in his heart. And so he says, this is what it was like. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by enemy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. He said, presence, if if you looked at me in that state, you, you, you you would have been forgiven God for thinking, uh, this guy has no brain. <laughs> you know, he's just a dumb animal. He's not thinking. He's not seeing things rightly. That's what I must have seemed like to you, God, when I allowed envy and bitterness to take root in my life. Now, that might not be your issue, but my guess is if you open up your heart, when you come into God's presence, not only will you see others from, their, from God's perspective, but you're going to get perspective on yourself that you might not have had otherwise. That's probably sometimes why people avoid going into God's presence because they don't want to be convicted. It's not always a pleasant experience. But when you open yourself up to God's presence, you are opening yourself up to conviction. He says, I must have seemed like a brute animal to you at the time. But I love this because it pulls out the grace and goodness of God, focusing on that word presence. He's like, if it were up, if I, I was just looking at it from my perspective, I'm in your presence, I look pretty stupid. But yet, I'm still in your presence. You haven't rejected me, you haven't kicked me out, I'm still in the fold. And in fact, Rather than just rather than just judging me for for my stupidity and for my my sinfulness, you've actually taken me by the hand, and rather than leaving me in my ignorance and confusion, you've wisely and tenderly led me, and blessed me. I love that picture, don't you? Where uh, rather rather than condemning. God is gracious. Rather than, than judging us for our, our lack of understanding, he leads us into his perspective and his understanding. You wisely and tenderly lead me and bless me. So what, are we, what have we been saying? It, when it comes to this idea of justice, If you look at just the snapshot, sometimes things aren't going to make sense because it looks like the shalom is resting. Shalom is resting on the wicked, but if you pull back and if you pull into God's presence, you get His perspective and you see things as they truly are, and you see, including yourself, you see yourself as you truly are. So, practically speaking. 
how can this hour be the most valuable hour of your life this week? If you will take it and you will apply it and remember, I need to show up in God's presence. I need to show up in God's presence. Uh, because, uh, and how can you do that? Well, you show up in his word. We're constantly encouraging you to read and respond to God's word on a daily basis. I put out a couple of the Life Journal reading plans on each of the tables just to remind you that there's an opportunity, there's a process, there's an easy way to get in God's presence and get his perspective on a daily basis. Are you taking advantage of that? Are you showing up in God's word on a daily basis? And then I also put within God's spirit. How does God lead people? Through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. So when you uh, show up in God's word, you're going to get his leading and insight and perspective. And when you attune yourself to his spirit. Now, how do you get within God's spirit? I, I'm picking up when, with the word within on this idea of baptism. We usually think of baptism in the context of water baptism, where as you become a believer, you announce it to the world and symbolize it by a burial, watery burial and resurrection. What happens when you become a believer, there's also an invisible supernatural kind of baptism that happens where you are baptized in, immersed in God's Holy Spirit. And he shares his spirit with us, uh, empowering us, indwelling us, teaching us through his spirit. But this is only something that happens to people who have said yes to Jesus. You have to avail yourself to the gift of salvation and his spirit. Um, and then also to be among God's people. We do, like I said, lots of things to make it available to others, to broadcast it, to podcast it, to stream it, to on demand it, but there's something about being in the presence of others and worshiping God together and studying his word together that you can't duplicate outside of that context. Do what you can, but get among God's people as well. The Apostle Paul, and I'll close with this, picks up this theme in Romans chapter 2 where he's talking about God and his justice. He's, he's saying basically, look, we're going to make things, God's going to make things right. In his justice, God will punish anyone who does such things. And he's listed off various things. But he's pointing out the part of the reason why the insight as to why God doesn't just boom, boom, do wrong, get punished, is that he's making space, he's making margin for salvation, for repentance, for restoration, for reconciliation. He goes on to say in verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? In other words, you're just supposed to do something. There's this designed to prompt a response in you. And what is that response? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. The more famous translation of this is God's kindness leads us to repentance. 
So if you are sinning, if you are doing wrong, if you are rejecting God, don't see the delay between cause and effect as, a lie, as the lie that it doesn't have a cause and effect. See it instead as an opportunity for repentance, to say yes to Jesus, to get into the family of God, to accept the forgiveness that he offers, and then the power that he gives to lead the kind of life that you want, where you have true shalom, both now and forever. So let's show up in God's word on a daily basis. Within God's spirit, make sure that you've solved the issue, that you've resolved the issue of whether or not you're in God's family or not. Have you said yes to Jesus? And also to show up among God's people. And what's the conclusion of this? You will have a home with God, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and the perspective that that grants. The last verse of this psalm says this, I've made the Lord God my home. <laughs> in other words, I need God's perspective. I need God's perspective to see the world as it truly is, and I need God's perspective to see myself as I truly am. So rather than just visiting it from one, every once in a while, I've made God my home. That's, that's my home. I'm showing up and I'm staying there. And then God, I'm telling the world what you do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the perspective that you have granted us, for the goodness that you give us, the blessings for your justice that makes sure that sin does not go unpunished, that the wrong is not forever forgotten. But we also thank you for your mercy and grace, knowing that we are often deserving of your judgment, but instead you placed that punishment on your son so that we might be forgiven, so that we might go free. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray that you would encourage us to make you our home, to dwell, to reside, to abide in you, in your word, in the presence of your spirit among your people so that we might have the perspective that we need. Give everyone here, everyone watching, everyone listening insight into how they need to respond to what they've heard today and then give us the courage, power, and perseverance to follow through. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.